Welcome to another episode of Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer. Thanks so much for tuning in again this month. I just want to make sure, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever digital platform you listen to, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever, however. But make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of these monthly episodes. This month, Greg takes time to unpack and break down what a clear gospel message is, operative word this month, clear, because he's going to break down a C-L-E-A-R acrostic for us. And so excited to hear this message from Greg. Make sure this month, especially you take advantage of the digital resources made available at gregsteer.org. There's a discussion guide that goes with each of those five statements. It'll be phenomenal for you and your ministry team or network to unpack those statements, process through them a little bit. Uh, But uh, great resources, gregsteer.org. Make sure you check those out. All of that being said, here's Greg Steer with this month's episode of Gospel Eyes. I want to talk to you today about presenting the message of the gospel clearly to your students. So how to preach the gospel clearly and how to help your students share the gospel in a clear way with their friends. It's so, so important. Uh, I'm going to use an illustration of water. Now, I love the illustration of water because Jesus himself uses the illustration of water when it comes to the gospel. John 4, 13 and 14, he says to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we want to present the gospel like the living water with no additives that will spiritually transform a person. So to illustrate that, I'm going to use three glasses of water, right? The first glass is a crystal clear glass of water. It's the kind of water you'd want to drink on a hot day, the kind of water that's going to hydrate you, the kind of water where there are no additives. And in the same way, we want to preach a gospel that is clear and simple with no additives, all right? We'll talk about what that looks like. The second glass of water is what I would call muddy water, right? So muddy water, you know, uh, you can you can drink muddy water if you were out in the desert and there was nothing else and you came to some muddy water and you could drink that water and it could kill you, but it could save your life. And sometimes when people are presenting the gospel, they are presenting it unclearly, but still people come to Christ. But it's so important that we're clear. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, 8 and 9 says this. Again, if the trumpet sounds a muffled call, who will prepare for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Now, although this passage is specifically talking about speaking in tongues and not having an interpreter, the principle applies to giving the gospel as well. If you're not presenting the gospel in a clear way that people understand, you might as well be speaking a different language. So we need to present the gospel Clearly, there's a clear message of the gospel. There's the muddy presentation of the gospel. The third glass of water is what I would call a poisonous gospel. It looks clear, right? But there's been some poison that's been added into it. And you just put a few drops of arsenic into a clear glass of water. All of a sudden, that clear glass of water is poisonous. In the same way, Paul says this to the Galatian believers 
in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we've already said. So now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's pretty intense language. He's saying if you add one thing to the clear message of God's grace, you're under God's curse. So we just want to make sure we're not under God's curse, right? We want to make sure we're presenting the gospel clearly, not in a muddy way, definitely not in a poisonous way. And we want to make sure our students are sharing that message clearly as well. So to to help you, we are going to use an acrostic that spells out the word clear, all right? So the C is this. Your gospel needs to be cross and Christ-centric. So when you present the gospel, a cross is right in the middle of it. It's cross and Christ-centric. We'll talk about that in depth a little bit more in a few moments. Secondly, it lays out the whole story of the gospel. lays out the whole story. So you want it cross and Christ-centric. You want it to lay out the whole story from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, the E is it's easy to understand, right? So it's easy to understand. A is always sounds too good to be true. We'll unpack that in a few minutes. And the R is relentlessly focuses on faith alone in Christ alone. So if you want a clear gospel message, then these five principles will help you present it clearly and help you help your students do the same. So let's start with the first, the C in the clear, cross and Christ-centric. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 Paul writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. This little passage is what we call a pre-Pauline creed. In other words, it existed before the Apostle Paul. It was a creed that the early church developed, and somebody trained Paul in it. He memorized it, and then he trained the Corinthians in it. Because he wanted to make sure that when the Corinthians presented the gospel, they kept Christ and the cross at the center of the gospel. Now, believe it or not, I've heard preachers, I've even heard evangelists give the gospel without ever sharing Christ died on the cross for our sins. So actually, they actually never shared the gospel. Uh, That's like a comedian telling a joke and not giving the punchline, right? It just leaves you hanging. You cannot give the gospel if Christ and his cross are not central to that. At our Dare to Share conferences, we used to tell the students, if you forget everything else when you're sharing the gospel, remember the cross. Remember the cross of Christ. Remember Jesus died in our place for our sins. So a clear gospel is cross and Christ-centric. Secondly, a clear gospel lays out the whole story of the gospel. It lays out the whole story of the gospel. Acts 20, 27, Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So when your students share the gospel, they need to tell the whole story of the gospel from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now, I'll be honest with you, in our early years at Dare to Share, we did not tell the whole story of the gospel. Uh, We started with Genesis 3. We talked about God says everyone has sinned, and we take them to Genesis 3. I heard a guy 20 years ago named Mike Metzger talked about to reach this postmodern, post-Christian culture, we need to tell the whole story of the Bible. We need to make sure our gospel presentations don't start in Genesis 3. They start in Genesis 1. 
So we kind of adapted our strategy to start in Genesis 1 and finish in Revelation 22. And I dare to share, we use a gospel acrostic to explain the whole story of the gospel. So I'll just kind of go through it all with you. G is God created us to be with him. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. God created everything, and then he created Adam and Eve. He created them to be in a relationship with him. Then the O is our sins separate us from God. That's Genesis 3. That's when Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, uh, they poisoned the rest of humanity with their sin, right? Every baby ever born since uh, Adam and Eve, except for Christ himself, has been born uh, depraved and deprived of the ability to really do good in God's sight. The S stands for sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We see this from Genesis 4 with uh, Cain trying to please God with the work of his hands in the field all the way through Malachi 4. So you can see the blood, the sweat, and the tears, the blood of all the sacrifices, the sweat of trying to obey 613 Old Testament commands, the tears of contrition when they failed to keep those commands. Uh, sins could never be removed by good deeds. So P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. We see that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, telling the story about Jesus, uh, God became man. He lived the perfect life we could never live. He died the death that we deserved again. Christ and cross-centric, he paid the price on the cross and rose again uh, from the dead. Uh, e, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We see that in the book of John. Uh, and then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. We see this from Acts to Revelation 22. So it's really the whole story of the Bible in six key points. So however you choose to give the gospel, make sure you use uh, and tell the whole story of the gospel from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Uh, you know, in court, when you uh, are testifying, you put your left hand on the Bible and you raise your right hand, and they ask you, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? In the same way, when we present the gospel, we need to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So make sure you um, lay out the whole story of the gospel. E. Okay, let's get to the E of the clear. It's easy to understand. Easy to understand. I love 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 3, especially in the New King James Version. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity. The gospel is a simple message. And Satan wants to twist that message. He wants to make it more complicated. He wants to add in a works-based system. He wants to drop in a few drops of poison. He wants to muddy it up because what Satan hates to see is people come from darkness to light. He hates when teenagers put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the bottom line is the clearer the gospel presentation the more opportunity that person has to understand and respond to the gospel message. So what are some muddy terms that Christians often use uh, that are not easy to understand? One of those terms uh, really kept me from putting my faith in Christ when I was a kid. Uh, it's a term that's used quite often, uh, and it's a term maybe that you heard when you were a kid and you responded to the gospel through it, right? So it's one of those muddy, kind of the muddy water, could save you, could kill you, you know? For me, it killed me. I mean, it did not, I did not understand what it meant. It's the term, let Jesus into your heart. Now, think about that. It's nowhere in the Bible 
Nowhere in the Bible. That term, let Jesus in your heart, is nowhere in Scripture. And sometimes people refer to Revelation 3.20 when Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And you remember that old Sunday school picture of Jesus standing at the door, knocking at the door of your heart. That's great. The, the challenge is uh, that passage is not talking to unbelievers. It's talking to the church of Laodicea. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about sanctification. It has nothing to do with salvation in that passage. So that whole idea of let Jesus into your heart. I remember when I was a kid, I used to say, Jesus, come into my heart. Are you there? Over. Not three times on my pancreas if you made it, right? I thought if I cough too hard, there goes Jesus. You know, I just knocked him out of my... If I get a heart transplant, I'm going straight to hell. Yes, I was a neurotic little kid, but I just didn't understand what that meant. And then one day, our pastor explained the gospel clearly. And I put my faith in Christ. He presented a Christ and cross-centered gospel. I understood it. I responded to Christ. I was eight years old. I went right to my Sunday school teacher. I go, hey, all that let Jesus in your heart stuff confuses us kids. And she looked at me like, hey, you little freak, get out of here. Yeah. And I did. But it was something. It was in my my soul because it kept me, it, was, it made me frustrated because I so wanted to understand the gospel. But that phrase uh, kept me from understanding. Another muddy term is just say this prayer to be saved. Now, there's a lot of people that said the sinner's prayer and, and understood that it's by putting their faith in Christ. But I believe there's going to be a lot of people in hell who said the sinner's prayer. And they thought they were saved because they said a prayer, but they never genuinely put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I have no problem with you leading uh, your students in prayer, a prayer for salvation, as long as they understand saying a prayer does not save them. It's their faith in Jesus Christ that saves them. You know, there's some go uh, muddy gospel presentations. There's some poisonous gospel presentations. Man, I've, I've heard uh, people say things like this. Well, you know, you have to turn from all your sin before you come to Christ. Now think about that. If I could turn from all my sin before I came to Christ, why would I need to come to Christ? I could save myself, you know? Some people say, well... Um, you have to make Jesus Lord in every area of your life to be saved, or you can't be saved. Man, I love the words of Chuck Swindoll in his excellent book, The Grace Awakening. Listen to this. He says, I can tell you that as a sinner, you need to have a stronger commitment to Christ, demonstrated by the work you do on his behalf, before you can truly say you believe. My problem in doing so is this. A sinner cannot commit to anything. He or she is spiritually dead. Remember, there's no capacity for commitment in an unregenerate heart. Becoming an obedient, submissive disciple of Christ follows believing in Christ. Works follow faith. Behavior follows belief. Fruit comes after the tree is well-rooted. And well-rooted well in faith. And again, this idea of you have to turn from your sin and then come to Jesus. Uh, you know, a lot of people, when I say that, uh, as a term that's that's a false term that we should not use, they say, well, what about repentance? Here's the thing about the word repent. The word repent, metoneo in the Greek, literally means to change your mind. So if a passage is talking about sin, it's about change your mind from that sin. If it's talking about Jesus, it's talking about changing your mind about Jesus. If it's talking about salvation, it's talking about changing your mind about the way of salvation. As a matter of fact, the best definition of repentance I ever heard was from my good friend Doug Holliday, who's the executive director of Sun Life North America. He said this, To repent is to change your mind about sin, self, and Savior. Sin in that it's a barrier between us and a holy God. 
self in that there's nothing I can do to remove that barrier, and Savior in that Jesus is the only one qualified to remove that barrier through his death on the cross on our behalf. I love that definition. And so we need to make sure that we are presenting the gospel clearly in a way that is easy to understand. I'll tell you a story. Uh, When I was 19 years old, I was invited to go preach at the Denver Rescue Mission. And when I was at the Denver Rescue Mission, uh, I was 19 years old, so I was new at it. I knew all these guys had to listen to gospel presentations every night if they wanted a place to sleep, right, if they wanted some food. And so they were kind of a little bit inoculated to the gospel, so I thought I would take a different tactic. And I said, listen, I want to tell you, uh, how many of you guys have heard, if you want to get to heaven, you got to give up your drinking, give up your smoking, give up all your sexual immorality, give up your drugs. And they all kind of looked at me to raise their hand. Uh, you know. I said, I want to tell you something a little bit different today. And they all kind of looked up. And the rescue mission staff, who was sitting over to my left against the wall, they looked up too. They were nervous. I said, if you want to get to heaven, keep your drinking, keep your smoking, keep your alcohol, keep your drugs, and keep all your sexual sin. And this one guy yells out, amen, and this guy's good, you know. The rescue mission staff stood up. They were talking to each other, about, I'm sure, about how to take me off the stage. I said, you keep all your sin, and you come to the cross of Christ, and you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, and you trust in him to forgive you for all of his all of your sins, and he will forgive you for all your sins, and he will send his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you, and he'll give you the power and desire to turn from your sins, but you can't have the power and desire until you have Jesus. You can't have Jesus until you trust in him. The rescue mission staff sat back down, and seven men that night put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, we had to get the order right. We trust in Jesus, and then he spends the rest of our lives turning us from our sin, conforming us to his very image. But it all erupts out of a clear gospel of grace, which leads to the A in the word clear. Always sounds too good to be true. Always sounds too good to be true. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That sounds too good to be true. He didn't save us because we did anything good. He saved us uh, because of his mercy. And you know, when it sounds too good to be true, people get nervous because they think, well, you just preaching a license to sin. You're just saying people can just trust in Jesus and just go out and live how they want. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is it's going to get that accusation. It's going to get that accusation of being a license to sin. Listen to the great preacher, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Here's what he said about whether or not you know you're preaching the gospel clearly. There's no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that because you are saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. This is a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then it is not the gospel. So if your gospel is never accused, falsely accused, of being a license to sin, then you're not preaching the gospel because the gospel always sounds too good to be true. Romans 3.8, Paul was accused of it. Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil, that good may result. Their condemnation is just. In other words, Paul was accused 
of saying, hey, why don't I just go out and sin and God's grace will just cover everything? He's like, that's not at all what we're saying. Now, you can always tell that you're preaching the gospel of grace when the you mean to tell me people come out. You mean to tell me that all you got to do is put your faith in Christ. Now, you mean to tell me that my Aunt Susie, who lives a good life but doesn't believe in Jesus, she dies and goes to hell, and somebody that trusts in Jesus and doesn't live a good life, they're going to go to heaven. You mean to tell me. Here's what God means to tell us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That sounds too good to be true. Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Sounds too good to be true. Galatians 2, 16. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Sounds too good to be true. And maybe in the, the clearest presentation and the earliest complete presentation of the gospel by Jesus in John chapter 3, Verses 14 and 15, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Sounds too good to be true. And it's kind of weird if you don't know the snake passage. As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, like, okay, I'm, is there a story like that? Yeah. Do you remember the story like that? Because the Israelites were being complainers. And so God unleashed like a, you know, an army of poisonous snakes and they were biting the people of Israel and people were dying off because God was fed up. You know, God is fed up when he, you know, sends the cobras, send the cobras. Like um, he was upset. Right. And so the people called out to God and basically here's what the Lord tells them to do in Numbers 21, 8 and 9. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Look and live. That's where the old hymn comes from. Look and live. Sounds too good to be true. Sounds too simple. Could you imagine some of the religious leaders in Moses' day saying, no, that's too easy. You can't just look and live. You got to look hard. You got to look into your eyes, break a blood vessel. You have a strain in your neck to prove that your eyes are looking hard. You've got to look for at least five minutes straight without blinking. Otherwise, it's not a, not a real look. You're fake looking. I don't know why I'm talking like I'm from the South. It just seemed right at the proper time. I apologize to all those listeners in the South. They're listening right now. But you get the point, right? Look and live. Sounds too easy. Sounds too good to be true. We look at Jesus and we live. We believe. Just like they, in the Old Testament, they were poisoned by the snakes, looked to that bronze snake on a, on a pole and lived. So we are poisoned by sin. Look to Jesus hanging on a cross in faith, and we live. It's as simple as that. The R in the clear is relentlessly focuses on faith alone in Christ alone. Romans 3.22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Through faith. 
You know what the word faith means? To trust in or rely upon. And it was faith that triggered, faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, that triggered the Reformation 500 years ago. When Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, it triggered a response. And one of those standing points was sola fide. We are, we are saved by faith alone and Christ alone, not by our good deeds. And as revolutionary as it was 500 years ago, it's just as revolutionary today because people respond, sometimes viscerally, and they say, no, it's by what we do. And man, the Bible's clear. It's not by what we do. It's by what Jesus has done. Perhaps that's why in the book of John, the word believe or faith or trust, the same Greek word, is used almost a hundred times. John is the only book in the Bible written to unbelievers. John 20, 31. These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. So what is John saying? You want to be saved? Believe, 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 believe. Trust, trust, trust. Rely, rely, rely on Christ. Faith, faith, faith. Same Greek word. Trust, believe, rely. Says it over and over and over and over and over again. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus has done. We're not saved by trying to achieve, but by simply believing in Jesus. That's what makes Christianity so unique. I believe the broad road that leads to destruction is not just sin. It's religion. It's do, try, cry. The narrow way that leads to eternal life is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We believe in Christ and we are saved. Let's keep the gospel clear like a cool glass of water. And let's make sure our students are sharing the gospel clearly. And this clear gospel of grace is not a license to sin, but a reason to serve. So let me use a poker illustration as these poker chips have magically appeared on my table here. But poker, and I don't play poker. I don't encourage you to take poker. Uh, I am not trying to get you. And Let me try it again. I'll start again. <clears throat> and the clear gospel of grace, understand this, is not a license to sin. It's a reason to serve Christ. Because you may be thinking, well, I don't want my kids to go out and just take salvation and run amok. No, it's a reason to serve Christ. So I have some poker chips that have magically appeared on my table here. So I don't know much about poker. What I know about poker comes from watching James Bond movies. So judge me. Um, but I know this. If you have, if you're playing poker, uh, there's a term called all in. Right, And that's when you take your chips, which represent all the money that you're betting, and you push it all in toward the middle. That means I'm betting all this money. Right? Normally, people do one or two chips or three or four chips. But if they feel super confident in their hand, their poker hand, they'll go all in. Right? So we want our students in the same way to go all in to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So think about this as an illustration. The highest hand you can get in poker is called the royal flush. Now you get a royal flush, it's an unbeatable hand, right? It's the highest hand in poker. If you get a royal flush, 
you've won the game, right? So you get a royal flush, you you don't have to go all in, but it'd be stupid not to. I mean, you could throw one or two chips in or three or four, but why would you not go all in, right? Why would you not push all those chips in the middle? Because you have the winning hand. So when you present the clear gospel of grace, you know what you're dealing, your, your students? You're dealing them the winning hand. You're dealing them the royal flush. When they respond to Christ by faith alone, man, it's Christ and cross-centric gospel, lays out the whole story, easy uh, to understand, always sounds too good to be true, and relentlessly focuses on faith alone and Christ alone. When you clearly lay that out, well, you're giving them, you're dealing them the royal flush. And when they respond in faith, they've won, period. They've won. They're hold the winning hand. So why would they not go all in to serve Jesus Christ? Why not? Why not do more than just throw in a chip and say, yeah, I'll read my Bible once, once in a while. Or you know what? Maybe I'll go to camp this year. Or you know what? Maybe I'll share the gospel once in a while. Why throw in a couple chips? Romans 12.1 says, I beg you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me rephrase that. I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of the royal flush that you've been dealt, go all in. And I want you to realize salvation, it's not a license to sin. It's a reason. That's the sound of going all in. It's a reason to push all those chips in the middle and say, you know what, I'm going to serve Christ for the rest of my life. Now, you don't have to. You could throw in one chip or two. You look at the Corinthians, man, they had the one, the royal flush. They were just throwing in a couple chips. Paul's like, go all in. Romans, same thing. He's begging them. They'd already, they put their faith in Christ. He's like, brothers, in view of God's mercy, go all in. In the same way, this gospel of grace, it's not a license to sin. God doesn't want you to just sit there and throw in a couple chips. He wants you to go all in because you've received this awesome, outstanding, amazing, sounds too good to be true message of salvation through what Jesus did for us on the cross. So present the gospel clearly and then challenge those students that respond to go all in and serve Jesus Christ because they're holding the winning hand. That's how you present the gospel clearly. And my prayer for you is that God would enable you to present it clearly and train your students to do the same. Let me pray for you now. Father, I pray for every youth leader watching this, every youth leader listening to this. May they present the gospel clearly. May they train their students to present the gospel clearly. May they use clear terms as they share the gospel and train their students to share the gospel. And then once those students respond, may they go all in to serve Jesus because they have the winning hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, I'm Carrie, and this is Jason Lamb. And wasn't that amazing how Greg unpacked how to deliver, how to preach a clear gospel message? And just a reminder, it's cross and Christ-centered, lay out the whole story, easy to understand, always sounds too good always. to be true and relentlessly focuses on faith alone and Christ alone. What out of those statements Amen. really stood out to you, Jason? Amen. Well, they all do, but it, 
the the one I remember, I had the opportunity to preach a sermon in a church a, a several years ago now, and uh, we were focusing on the L, kind of laying out the whole story of the gospel, making sure that we didn't leave anything out, and to the point that we dove, dove deep like Greg did in explaining repentance and what that Greek word metaneo means. And I'll never forget, after church that day, this lady who had to be in her 60s comes up to me, collapses in my arms, weeping, yeah. and she said, I've been a believer for 50 years. Yeah. I know that I know Jesus, but I've never heard the gospel shared that way. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I can walk in freedom because I was always shameful of my sin because I couldn't stop sinning or I couldn't turn away from my sin in terms of stop. And it had become that Jesus's love for me is based on the sin in my life, what yeah. I do and I don't. And so when she heard the clear gospel and she heard the whole story laid out and what repentance really meant, uh, I mean, it in a lot of ways, it, it quite literally changed her life. And so I just, it is so wow. important to lay out the whole story. Don't leave anything out. Make sure people understand the good news yeah. of who Jesus right? is and what he did for Amen. us. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah, for me, I think it was the A, always sounds too good to be true. Kind of a always. funny story. Um, was preaching, you know, the gospel repeatedly in youth group. Got a phone call from an angry parent and was uh -oh. saying, you know what? Yeah, Because that's right? never happened to that's, any I'm youth sure leader ever. ever. Angry phone call happen. from parents. So. And she was really upset. She said, you know, my daughter's not going to be allowed to come to your youth group anymore because she has developed a really bad attitude. And I'm like, well, what's going on? She's like, well, according to what she's been telling me, what you've been telling her is that, you know, she can just do whatever she wants. And, you know, she doesn't have to do her chores anymore. And, you know, because she's saved by grace and not works. That's what she had been telling wow. her mom, <laughs> that like she didn't have wow. to do anything her mom wanted her to do. And uh, to be honest, you know, of course, I was kind of heartbroken that it had been so distorted. This young lady yeah. had, you know, done exactly what Paul kind of tells us not to do in Romans sure. 6, you know, not to increase our sins so that grace may abound. He's, you know, obviously warning us, don't, don't, you know, twist it all up. Totally. Um, and yet at the same time, it was like really cool to see the radical message of grace just, you know, so clearly articulated to her. Well, and it's like Greg know? shared in the podcast, that's that's the tension of giving a clear gospel and focusing on grace and that it's always too good to be true, is that if your gospel message can't be accused of that, right. which is what it was wrongly, because this yeah. young lady, immature in her faith, had, had incorrectly applied grace to her life. But clear gospel messages can be accused of that. Absolutely. And so, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. kudos to you for, for being faithful to that. And yeah, um, to be honest, like yeah. there was a part of me that was nervous after that to to really share the full gospel message and, you know, have it be misinterpreted again and get another angry yeah. phone call. Right. Um, but then I thought, you know what, it's cool. Like this is what we're called to do. And so I was convicted to just keep preaching it and, and maybe explaining a little bit more of uh, what that meant and how we live it out. You bet. Well, and as youth leaders, we want to make sure that we're giving a clear gospel consistently every time we share the gospel that it's clear. But want to make sure that all of you youth leaders know about Dare to Share Live on mm -hmm. October. October 12th. This is going to be a single day, extraordinary event, live simulcast here in Denver to almost 100 sites nationwide from Alaska to Puerto Rico again this year. But in this one day, your students are going to be trained in how to give a clear gospel message and not just trained, but then sent out in your community to declare and proclaim that clear yeah. gospel message. And so want to make sure if you don't have it on your calendar, October 12th, Dare to Share Live, check out the website, daretoshare.live.org. Uh, but that day is going to be an extraordinary day awesome. of students be being awesome. trained in how to share a clear gospel message. But there's other resources as well, Carrie, in terms of training students and uh, how to share a clear gospel. You don't have to wait 
to October 12th or be dependent on that day. Yeah, definitely. Like we offer this great curriculum called Life in Six Words, which by the way, if you go to live and get a church kit, you get it for free, free. which is pretty awesome. Um, And it's amazing. I used it with our students and we loved it. The students ate it up. I mean, they just loved the, not literally, of course, course. but they really loved it. (laughs) And so um, Greg and Propaganda in the video, Jason Petty, just do such a great job of unpacking theologically, a little deeper dive on each one of those letters, the GOSP. And one of the things that we did while we were using that curriculum is we posted on the wall visually, you know, what each of those letters stood for. And so it just was a a great way for our students to really memorize what that meant. And I can't tell you how many times since then we referenced, you know, look up on the wall. Don't forget what the clear gospel is all about. And, you know, in small groups or one-on-one or upfront, whatever, we're always using that display. And we use that banner, you know, that you can get from our our store if you want to, but you can use however you want. Totally. But to your point, keeping it in front of the group, keeps it in front of you as a priority it's a value but it does ongoing helps your students remember those statements and how to present a clear gospel so displaying the gospl in your room uh, is phenomenal and that Uh, curriculum man i just can't say enough about how powerful it is that's probably why it's our best-selling curriculum best-selling curriculum we've ever had take advantage of that for for sure sure. Uh, another another tool that's out there um that is specific to today's podcast but just another one in general for youth leaders gotquestions.org if you've got spiritual questions your students are asking it's a great website but they've got an article entitled is it biblical to ask jesus into your heart as Greg mentioned in the podcast, great article. That one, there's so many others, but make sure as a youth leader checking out gotquestions.org. It's just going to be a super, uh, super big help in your youth ministry and tackling some of those questions like, uh, is it biblical to ask Jesus into your heart? Exactly. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for all that you do and for helping teenagers to know, love, and share Jesus. And so that every teen everywhere can hear the clear gospel from a friend.